Hello Blazers, welcome to episode 112 of UAB Green and Told, original debut Monday, December 4th, 2023. This podcast gives us a chance to share stories from members of the UAB community. Check out all of our previous episodes by visiting alumni.uab.edu slash greenandtold on Spotify or the Apple Podcast app. And while you're there, leave a written review so more alums can listen in. I'm Greg Berry, a UAB alum and director of communications in the Office of Alumni Affairs. Like many students who enroll at UAB, Maurice Hobson wanted to eventually attend medical school, but that wouldn't happen. You see, as he'll share, there are things that pop up and derail even the best laid plans. And I just realized at that point in time that I did not like blood, nor did I like science enough to really, I mean, you got to go through a lot of science to be able to get to do all of the real cool stuff. That's not to say science wasn't a factor in what he does today. As Maurice will explain, it was and still is. I grew up cleaning Bonson burners and pipettes, and I understood science at all the levels. Like, I did very well in science growing up. But I do history and politics like a scientist. And with his background in history, Maurice has been able to do some pretty cool things, consulting for networks like ESPN, HBO, and PBS, and all the while, getting to rub elbows with some major players in media. When I get to New York City, they, they take my cell phone and I walk into this room and it's Jay-Z, Beyonce, Spike Lee, and Oprah. Born in Jackson, Mississippi, Maurice Hobson grew up in the Black Belt of Alabama after his father got a job and moved his family to Selma in the early 80s. But Maurice's childhood wasn't like many of the others around him. Both his parents worked and his family was not impoverished. During his adolescent days, he wasn't aware of what the Black Belt was or even much about his surroundings. However, that changed when he wound up at UAB. I didn't know the meaning of any of it until I actually went to college. Okay. I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't grow up poor. Um, My parents were educators. I'm one of six children who did very well, you know, growing up. But what was kept from me, I grew up around poverty and didn't know it was poverty. Yeah. And so it didn't become really clear to me until I went to UAB. And and I'm I'm going to tell you when the moment was. Uh, I played football at UAB. Mm -hmm. When the freshman reported, I remember getting up to introduce myself to, to the rest of the football team. And uh, there were a couple of guys who had played football at at Jeff Davis in Montgomery. They knew Selma. But when I was like, well, yeah, you know, Maurice Hobson um, graduated from Selma High School. They were like, wait, you're from Selma? They were like, man, don't nothing good come from Selma. And all they do is march. That's when it became like, well, what do you mean nothing good comes from Selma? And so uh, I grew up very insular. I mean, I grew up with with black teachers. I grew up, uh, there were several things that took place in my childhood that was eye-opening now that I look back at it, but there was a race war that broke out in 1990 that resegregated the school systems. So I had grown up, uh, primarily growing up, uh, going to school with white kids at a public school. And when that race war broke out, all of the white kids left the public school system, went to the private or white schools. So I had gone from the seventh through the 12th grade, not really being around white people in any kind of formative kind of way. You wound up coming to UAB not only to play football, but to earn an education. Of course. Why UAB? Why was it selected to come here to Birmingham? I had no intentions on ever going to UAB, ever. 
nothing against UAB, but I had grown up on black college campuses. I grown up on Jackson State's campus. I grown up on, uh, you know, doing some stuff at uh, Xavier University and Tulane University. And I mean, I knew Alabama State and Alabama A&M fairly well. But what it was is uh, my junior year in high school, I was uh, tapped to be a, an, uh, an honorable mention in the state of Alabama as a all-state football player. Mm -hmm. And uh, my high school football coach at the time was one of Bear Bryant's first black players. His name is George Pugh. When I was a junior in high school, after my at the end of my junior year, Coach Pugh was relieved of his duties as coach. Coach Pugh one day calls me and he was like, hey, son, that's how you start, hey, son, you need to consider going to UAB because I just landed a gig as an assistant football coach and I recruit the area in Selma, Montgomery, the whole nine. So I had this opportunity to play Division One football at this new program at UAB, and so I go to UAB. Uh, at the time, I wanted to be a medical doctor and did very well my, my first year, but I just realized that that's not what I was supposed to be. I was where I was supposed to be at that point in time because it set me on a course to kind of understand different things in the world as to what I do now, so. You came to UAB early to mid nineties when the football team was brand new. Mm -hmm. It was a totally different environment for you going from the black belt to a big urban, you know, a, a suburban metropolis yeah. in, in Birmingham. What kind of preconceived thoughts did you have about making that move up I-65? Like Birmingham really was the big city, but the only time we would come to Birmingham is if like somebody had a doctor's appointment and had to go see a specialist, okay? And to some extent, Birmingham was dangerous and that's what I expected, but I didn't realize that I would be going to school on the South side in like this college town. You mentioned that you came to UAB looking to pursue a degree in medicine. Ultimately, that would change a little bit. What happened? So my freshman year of college, November 8th, it was my father's birthday. That's how I know exactly what day it was. Um, I was on the scout team on the football team, playing tight end, and I was caught the ball and got tripped up by the linebacker who was trying to catch me and fell on my shoulder and um, basically dislocated my AC joint and calcium deposits came from it. I went through spring practice and re just realized that I just couldn't really lift my arm up like this. Yeah. I ended up having shoulder surgery where they scraped my AC joint to kind of remove the bone spurs. And it was during that time, and, and, and I'll be very honest with you, they, they gave me this video of the surgery and you could see them kind of in there scraping the bones and, you know, under the scope. And they hit this blood vessel, it was a blood vessel, and the whole screen goes black. And what it was is that was blood. Yeah. And I just realized at that point in time that I did not like blood, nor did I like science enough to really, I mean, you got to go through a lot of science to be able to get to do all of the real cool stuff. Yep. And I was just kind of like, I wasn't passionate enough to get there. I could do the work, but at the end of the day, like, what is it, what would it be that I would want to do? And so I was learning the ways of Omega Psi Five. I was being initiated into Omega Sci-Fi, but one day we had flown up to College Park, Maryland to play a football game. We played in the University of Maryland, 1996. The tradition at UAB at the time was the night before a football game, they would take the whole football team to a movie and you could choose the movie that you would want to watch. It was to, to relax you for the game. And the movie A Time to Kill had come out. 
my uncle was an extra in the movie A Time to Kill, which was filmed in Mississippi. So I was, I'm watching the movie trying to see if I can get, catch a glimpse of my uncle. Yeah. I'm sitting in this movie theater in college, in, in, in Maryland, like Greenback, Maryland. And I feel that God comes to me and says, I know you think you're supposed to be this medical doctor, but that's not really what you're supposed to be. And I'm, the reason I'm saying this, I gave you that context, is I'm watching this movie and I'm looking at this, this conversation between Matthew McConaughey's character and Samuel L. Jackson's character. So the, the black man is accused, he, he kills these men for harming his daughter. And McConaughey is trying to fight for his justice. And that dialogue, the conversation between them, the universe says to me, like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be helping people remedy people problems. What I feel as if I heard that night was that I know what you think you're supposed to do, but if you do what you're supposed to do, you will go further than anything that you will ever, that you could ever imagine. And so that was on a Friday. On Monday, I went to my academic advisor, who was a man who really poured into my life in good ways. And he doesn't know how much he did for me in, in affirming me at this moment. And uh, so I go to him and say, it was Mr. Milton Hurst. And I said, Mr. Hurst, I said, uh, I'm here to change my major. He says, to what? And I said, history and politics. And he says, why? I said, sir, you may not understand this, but I feel like God told me to do this. And he said, he looked at me and he said, young man, he says, God also told you that obedience was better than sacrifice. And he says, see, some people won't follow the path. And when they get off of the path, they have to sacrifice to God to get back in. He says, but if you just stay on the path, you don't have to do that. You can cut out the middleman and just be walking the path. And I made a decision that day. Naturally, I was gifted at engaging people and understanding how history and politics can work together to create culture. What I did is I kind of found my niche at UAB, started taking classes with Horace Huntley and Virginia Watley Smith. And by the time I got ready to graduate, they were like, if you take two more classes, like you could get a double major. It's like, well, why not? And technically on my diploma, it won't read double major, but I was the first to really complete the curriculum at UAB in African-American studies. So I have a degree in both history and African-American studies. Did you have an idea what you wanted to do after college and what you wanted to kind of do for the African-American community? Yeah, so, so the reason we moved to Alabama was my father was a scientist. He had, he had done his graduate work and was one of the leading scientists uh, in, in genetics and in particularly looking at sickle cell, sickle cell anemia, which is a blood disorder it's a, uh, or a... It's a health condition mm -hmm. that's overwhelmingly impacts uh, black communities. And historically, what it's about is sickle cell actually comes from the Mediterranean region. But Africans, uh, particularly being brought over during the Middle Passage due to slavery, developed this health condition that would ward off yellow, fe uh, yellow fever and malaria. But on the flip side, it would create great pain. So the, the highest concentration of sickle cell in North America is in the Alabama Black Belt. And so my father was brought there to run a National Institute of Health clinic. So that's why I grew up in Selma. But I remember like telling my dad, like, yeah, dad, I'm going to go and, you know, get this PhD in history. And he was like, well, but what are you going to do with it? And I looked at him and I said, dad, if you come up with a cure for sickle cell, I have to convince the people to take it. I grew up in a science lab, Greg. And I'm talking about, I grew up cleaning Bonson burners and pipettes, and I understood science at all the levels. Like I did very well in science growing up, but I do history and politics like a scientist. I really, I can, I understand people. I understand how they think. I understand 
I understand what their real threats are, but I understand how they think about those threats. I also understand policy and politics in particular ways, and I enjoy studying Black people. And as a civil rights historian, I tell people all the time, it's not that I'm smart. I was born of this dirt. I understand it. I don't know if you want to say you had blinders growing up, but you didn't have the realization of reality when yeah. you were in Selma. Right. Looking back and over the course of your career, how have race relations, the civil rights movement, all of that changed? Because you really have droned in on that and studied that to link. So how has that changed? First and foremost, you know, I, I have to acknowledge the privileges that I do have. If there are 13 categories of what it means to be privileged in the United States, I have 11 of those 13 privileges. Okay. And I will say this too, you know, I'm wise enough and been around people long enough to know that you can't judge books by covers. You can't just assume all white people do this or all black people do this or all straight people and gay. Like you can't make these assumptions. Yeah. We are in a ebb and flow in terms of race relations. We allow for the media to push fear on us in particular ways. And it is just re it's just drawn a line between all kinds of groups of people. Our world is more just wide open. And it's created a moment to where we have to get back to the basics of trying to get to know people again. And I do African-American history and I believe in black folk, but I believe in all people too. And I guess and uh, what I'm saying is that I believe in humanity at the end of the day. And just because I want to see black people do well, I want or, or just the fact that I say Black Lives Matter, it does not negate anyone else. Race relations have gone sideways, but it's up to us to really ensure and make to make sure that we bring this thing back full circle and, and, and give it back to people so that people can present themselves in their best life. You have focused your studies kind of on World War II to now, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Right. Why that era? So, the, so this is the truth of the matter. I, I have a PhD in both the total arc of African-American history and um, 20th century U.S. history, and they move at different paces. So it's a subform of American history. It, so it has its own set of values and significance in, in particular ways. Truthfully, what it was is that um, I'd applied for a job and I saw the letters that my, my reference letters, I saw the letters, that the, my recommendation letters for the job because I was on a search committee the year after I was hired and I was able to see what they looked through for mine. And one of my dissertation committee members stated, he said the beautiful or the strength of Maurice Hobson was that he was so specialized when he came into graduate school that he could have easily done a dissertation on early America, one on the antebellum period, one on the civil war, one on reconstruction. He could have done anything like he was versed. And it, it got to a point where faculty were fighting over who would advise me and what it was. But when I moved to Illinois is when it became clear to me that, damn it, I, every day growing up, I saw the Edmund Pettus Bridge when I was in Selma, Alabama. Or every time I would visit my grandparents, I would see Mega Evers' home right there. Or the fact that I had gone to college in Birmingham, Alabama, which was ground zero for the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yeah. Selma, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Or, you know, I had gone to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where George Wallace had stood in the, the schoolhouse door. And I knew all of the major players. I mean, I knew Abraham Lincoln Woods and I knew A.G. Gassett. I mean, I met him when I was a kid or I knew John Lewis. 
I knew the King family. I know Andy Young. I knew Amelia Boynton Robinson. I had access to these people. And it just became clear to me, man, you come from this dirt. You need to focus on civil rights. It's in your blood, on modern civil rights. That's what put me in that particular time frame. And I'm saying it's like all of, all of what happens in the 1960s that really puts Alabama as the cradle of the civil rights movement. It starts in the 1940s with World War II. And so that's the connection. Uh, what I decided to do is I decided to really demonstrate myself as a political civil rights historian. And Atlanta became the best city to, to do it on because Atlanta had done some different things in terms of civil rights, but then it took off and become, became this like international city. So it, it brings civil rights from being just this thing that happens here to now it's an international movement and in how it plays out. And so I was smart about how I chose my topics. I had to situate myself and now I can do anything I want to do, you know? So, so yeah. You've worked with or alongside four people like Outkast, uh, yeah. Barack Obama, yeah. Ken Burns for three times now. Yeah. What's yeah. it like being able to share the stories that you have, share your knowledge through these individuals? It's crazy because I often kind of pinch myself and like, I'm a country boy from Alabama with Mississippi, Louisiana roots. I mean, I'm serious when I say that. Yeah. Um, several years ago, so I wrote this book. The, the interesting thing about this book is several years ago, um, the book reopened the Atlanta child murder case because of the evidence in it. I mean, and I have all the evidence. I've done a documentary with this guy named Sam Pollard and Sam Pollard is out of New York City. He works closely with Spike Lee. And he comes to me and he says, we want to do this docuseries on the Atlanta child murders and we think we got HBO. And so I get flown up to New York City to talk this. And I'm because Jay-Z and Beyonce are interested in funding this documentary. When I get to New York City, they, they take my cell phone and I walk into this room and it's Jay-Z, Beyonce, Spike Lee and Oprah. And I, I kind of walk in. I'm a little surprised because I'm thinking I'm meeting with representatives, but they're actually in the room with me. And Miss Winfrey says, oh, my God, that book you wrote was so good. And I'm like looking at her like, really? They start going through the spiel and they say, we're interested in doing this documentary on the Atlanta child murders, which is a very sensitive topic. And I really do it justice in this book. And they were like, do you think you can do it? I looked at Jay-Z and I called him Mr. Carter. So Mr. Carter, I said, you are a hip hop mogul. I said, Ms. Knowles or Ms. Carter, you are also an entertainment mogul. You might be the greatest entertainer of this generation. I said, Mr. Lee, you've done your thing in film. And I said, Ms. Winfrey, you're Ms. Winfrey. You you are, you you the whole, the whole game. Yeah. I said, but when it comes to history of the American South and of this subject matter, I said, I'm the best in the game because I did the work. When I said that to them, they looked at me and they said, you're the guy we want. And I, I've served as a producer, not only as the historian, but the producer for it. Everybody has their lane that they can walk in and be seen in their full humanity, in their full light. Mine is African-American history of the American South, uh, history, politics, and cultures. That's, that's what I do. Where's your work going from here? So uh, I just wrote the official history book. I led the team to write the official history book for Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity. It's the first time we've had a history in, in 60 years and we brought it through the university press. Um, I've had real success in on newspaper writings, you know, The Guardian, New York Times, LA Times. I've had real success in the documentary world and podcast world. I mean, I have 
18 award-winning documentaries. I have five award-winning podcasts. I write for the TV show Atlanta that just kind of went off the air. I did the BMF. But the real thing is that I'm interested in these digital histories now. And so I'm getting drones and starting to fly. Like I'm just, we, I'm trying to bring history to the people sure. and doing it in sound bites and in museum exhibitions. And, and I feel like the universe is really preparing me for something that's bigger than, you know, I'm, I'm not just a professor, but like we can use this history in, in, real, ter- in, in, in real time in real terms. So that's where I see it going. And I, I really do see the world as my classroom. This younger generation wants you to see them in their full humanity, which means that you have to see us in our full humanity too. That's where it's going is I'm trying to do some real human rights work. That's Maurice Hobson, a 1999 graduate of the College of Arts and Sciences, where he earned his Bachelor of Arts degree in history with a minor in African-American studies. Dr. Hobson is a historian, author, social scientist, Africana studies scholar, and social justice champion. Today, he is an associate professor at Georgia State University in Atlanta. While he has worked at several other institutions, including Ole Miss, UMass Amherst, and Tuskegee, he still has an idea of what it means to be a blazer. Being a blazer is one that ignites, that can spark, it sparks new ideas, it's innovative and creative. But it's also this moment to where when I was at UAB, it was this opportunity for kids of all walks of life to kind of come to Birmingham. There there was a large enough number of black kids on campus to where you didn't feel ostracized. There were a, a large number of white kids on campus to where you know, you could learn from new people and you had different groups. I mean, you had kids from North Alabama, you had kids from South Alabama, you had kids from Mountain Brook, you had kids from Warrior. And I mean, you would all be there together. I would be remiss if I didn't give Birmingham and UAB credit for allowing me to kind of do the civil rights work because it allowed for me to see personalities in a very, in a case study on the football team, personalities of white ball players who had never been around black people white ball players who didn't have parents and were taken in by black communities black ball players whose parents were doctors and lawyers black ball players who could barely read i I mean you saw all of it right there that fire for the uab blazers burns hot for you be sure to check out past episodes of the uab green and told podcast listen in at alumni.uab.edu slash green and told have a story to share or know someone who does email green and told at uab.edu finally be sure to follow us on social media just search UAB Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and until next time, go Blazers.